we're going to Canada. Make some attempt to liberate it. Non-violently. Yes. It deserves to live in freedom and peace and not in rapid, disgusting decline. What kind of reception do you think we'll get in Canada? There are people who really do desire the truth and understand what's at stake. But if we show up and announce we're here to liberate Canada, what do you think will happen? Well, their hair is going to start on fire and they're going to freak out. Justin Trudeau is such a metrosexual buffoon, always dressing up in little costumes, that it's almost impossible, or it was almost impossible, to think of him as an authoritarian dictator. You can't take him seriously enough to be afraid of him. But then you probably don't live in Canada. But all of that began to change two winters ago. This was the height of the COVID lockdowns, and Canada had some most restrictive COVID regulations in the world. Among them was a vax mandate. The people who told you it was your body, your choice, didn't believe that at all. All of a sudden, they told you, you must take the shot or you can't participate in life. Can't go anywhere. You can't work. Well, there is at least one group of Canadians with testosterone levels sufficient to question an order like that. And they turned out to be long-haul truckers. And they descended on Canadian cities in January of 2022 to make their voices heard, as they say on the news, to make their voices heard. But they were not greeted in the way that other groups who want to make their voices heard are greeted as heroes. No, they were greeted with derision in the Canadian media, which effectively is an arm of the Trudeau administration, and by our media, which is effectively an arm of the Democratic Party. Almost nobody took their side. But what's interesting is how reasonable their demands were. Listen to us. Hey, Canada, maybe forcing people to take an untested medicine is not a good idea. They didn't threaten violence. They weren't violent. They were the core of the Canadian middle class, which is almost extinct at this point. But what was so telling and should really have been foreshadowing of what came later was Justin Trudeau's reaction to the Canadian truckers, to the trucker convoy. He refused to speak to them. Here he's explaining why. Is there a reason that you can give as for why you will not discuss or have any negotiations with this particular group? I have attended protests and rallies in the past uh, when I agreed with the goals, when I supported the people uh, expressing their concerns and their issues. Black Lives Matter is an excellent example of that. But I have also chosen to not go anywhere near protests that have expressed hateful rhetoric, violence towards fellow citizens, uh, and a disrespect uh, not just of science, but of uh, the frontline health workers and, quite frankly, the 90% of truckers who have been doing the right thing to keep Canadians safe, to put food on our tables. Uh, Canadians know where I stand. This is a moment for responsible leaders to think carefully about where they stand and who they stand with. So people who are paying close attention learned a lot from that clip. First, here is a guy, Justin Trudeau, who will say literally anything. He will say the opposite of what is true with a smile on his face. His heart rate won't rise a bit. He's a sociopath. Here is also a person who has no regard, in fact, contempt for democracy. This is the elected leader of a so-called democracy who refuses to even listen to criticism of his policies. So, in fact, he's not a democratic leader. He's an authoritarian. And that became very clear shortly after that was shot. At least four Canadian truckers went to jail. Now, what did they go to jail for? What did they do exactly? 
Well, to this day, no one can really say, and they're still in jail. Watch the Canadian media's description of that specific case. And as you listen to what we're about to show you, ask yourself, did they tell me anything real or was every single word a lie spoken at the behest of the ruling party of Canada? This is state media exhibit A. Watch this. According to newly unsealed court documents, RCMP believe four men accused of plotting to kill Mounties at the Coots border blockade were being given orders by an outside leadership group. The names of the people in that group have been redacted from the report as they are part of an active investigation. The newly released records involve transcriptions of phone calls between the four charged with conspiracy to commit murder, Anthony Olenek, Chris Lysak, Jerry Morin and Chris Carbert, and the unidentified leadership group. The documents state the leadership wanted more than just vaccine mandates lifted, but also the elimination of the professional political class. It also alleges Olenek, Lysak, Morin and Carbert trained for months and stockpiled firearms at Olenek's property near Claire's home while taking orders from an unidentified group. The documents reveal in February, Mounties seized more than 36,000 rounds of ammunition, two pipe bombs, gas masks, camouflage and tactical gear from the property. Other intercepted calls from the four men's cell phones refer to more potential weapons coming from a second stockpile in Nanton, as well as a growing tension between those protesting in Coots and the leadership group. In February, Olenek, Lysak, Mooring, Carbert, and nine others were arrested after RCMP uncovered a cache of weapons in Coots. Olenek is also charged with making and possessing an explosive device, and Lysak faces a charge of uttering threats. So parse what you just heard carefully. Again, that's state media in Canada. So here are four guys, working class guys, live in rural areas, and they've got a firearm stockpile, right? They probably don't have a lot more between the four of them than your average farmer does in the state of Nebraska or the state of Maine or the state of Oregon or anywhere else far from a big city. They're hunters, and so they have guns. Now, the pipe bomb is a very specific question. What's a pipe bomb? We don't know, and neither does the media organization reporting it. But critically, they don't tell you anything about this outside group that's supposedly coordinating them. The point of that news report was not to inform you, but to scare the crap out of you and make those four people who are now in jail seem like scary threats to Canada. Mission accomplished. So what you have in a country like Canada, where you have an authoritarian government that's taken away civil liberties, a dying middle class, and no media is you have almost nobody pushing back against the lies. There is maybe one news organization left in Canada that does, that asks very simple questions of the people who run the country. Why are you doing this? Can you answer the question? That's rebel news. Watch one of their reporters try to ask Krista Freeland, who's a, the finance minister of Canada, spent many years in Washington, D.C., known to many people who lived in D.C. as a kind of low IQ functionary, she now has power, and she does not want to answer any questions from the one independent media organization remaining in Canada. Watch what happens when a reporter tries to get her to answer the question. Ms. Freeland, how come the IRDC is not a terrorist group? Why is your government supporting Islamo what? 
So Canada has descended to an extremely dark place, and there are a lot of threads to the story. We're going to Canada very soon to see it for ourselves. But before we go, we thought we would speak to Gord McGill, who knows a lot about this. He is a Canadian and a trucker. He was not, strictly speaking, part of the Freedom Convoy two winters ago, but he was there, and for a lot of Americans, he was the main way that we knew what was happening because he recorded it and put it out on social media. He joins us now. Gord McGill, thanks so much. Thank you for having me, Mr. Carlson. Pleasure to meet you. It's great to meet you. Um, so it's funny that Canada, second largest country in the world, bigger than the United States, deeper natural resources in the United States, our biggest trading partner. Canada is a big deal to the U.S. in a lot of ways. We've been good neighbors for the most part. I would say. I haven't tried to invade or anything like no. that. Although I think we need an invasion north, but... I, I think we can get that done. Um, but the average American knows nothing about what's going on in Canada, and our understanding of Canada is ruled by cliches that developed 40 years ago. We think of it as a passive, ultra-nice country where... You know, that no one gets arrested. I would submit to you that the Canadian media returns that in kind because they've been operating on cliches about Americans since forever. I, th I think that's right, and, and there's a lot going on there. But I, it's a little bit shocking, I think, to most Americans to see how authoritarian Canada has become. Truly a place where you can't ask a question and be arrested for assault. Are you shocked? Um, that particular incident with Mr. Menzies, I mean, I... I want to say it's shocking, but at this point, you know, the Freedom Convoy in Ottawa was crushed in much the same way. Um, RCMP smashing the windows of trucks, beating up peaceful protesters. I'm, I, I, I'm not really surprised that they did this to Mr. Menzies. It's horrifying. But again, you wouldn't be surprised since you've been following it um, for more than two years now. So tell us. Let's, let's go right to that clip that we played from state media in Canada about the four incredibly dangerous people who are still languishing in prison. Right, yes. We, Tell us who they are. So uh, colloquially known as the Coots Four, um, Jerry Moran, Chris Lysak, Chris Carbert, and Tony Olianek are a group of protesters who are at the Coots Freedom Convoy site. Where is Coots? Uh, it's on the border with Alberta and Montana, sort of where Interstate 15 ends. And then yep. Take the highway north to Calgary and other points. And um, they, they were there exercising um, their rights to object to government policies. And um, due to very powerful forces, they've been caught up in railroaded, really, um, by the government and, and sort of used as used as pawns because after the Freedom Convoy ended, was crushed by Trudeau and the government, um, there was an inquest into that um, called the Public Order Emergency Commission, which the, the Justice Rouleau, in his conclusion about um, the question of whether or not Justin Trudeau was justified in imposing the Emergencies Act, he was, um, I, I can't remember the exact word, but he was a little bit reluctant he was sort of like reluctantly agreed that Trudeau was within his rights. And most of that hinges on this case in Coots, 
which once you investigate it, isn't much of a case at all. And so these four regular working class dudes who are at the protest site have now been imprisoned for almost two years. They were denied bail. Uh, they're kept in what's called remand because they haven't been convicted of anything. They haven't faced trial yet, so they don't get the, the rights afforded um, convicted prisoners. And so they've you know, been subject to um, long stints of, um, uh, oh man. Solitary confinement. Solitary confinement and denial of certain medical care. There's been some drama around that. Um, Tony Olianek has got um, problems with his guts. He was denied um, medication that he needed. Uh, Chris Lysak is a big, huge bear of a man. He's six foot five. Uh, has size 15 feet. They still haven't given him the proper shoes to wear while he's in jail. He's like walking around in Crocs all the time. Um, he also has problems because he's so big. He needs an extra mattress. They, they've just they've they've treated these guys like crap. And what I'll just say, there's no media in the world I have more contempt for than the Canadian media. They literally work for the government. They are state media. Yeah, they're financed to the hilt. In 2019. Um, the Trudeau regime gave them $595 million to bail them out because they're losing money, uh, in part because a lot of people know they're liars and aren't interested in what they have to sell. And there's been top-ups to that, and I think uh, I was looking it up. There's somewhere north of $700 million in subsidies from Justin Trudeau. Right. So it's he owns the media. He uses your tax dollars to pay for flattering coverage of himself right and that's not even counting the cbc that's a whole another one exactly seven billion and to eliminate all coverage of his misdeeds but i just want to get to something that we played in that clip they were accused of taking orders from a secretive outside group and canadian media wouldn't tell us because it was quote redacted what this group is has anyone ever explained who these guys were supposedly well, working there, there's, for? There's, there's been some... The Russians, I assume? Uh, yeah, there was one CBC reporter who accused the Freedom Convoy of taking money from Putin. Of course, that was ridiculous. Um, one of the items there they were talking about, it was actually a telegram group that's run by one guy who's just a random dude that espouses his opinion and the government is claiming this one random guy of the telegram group to be some criminal mastermind. Um, interestingly enough, that guy hasn't been apprehended, arrested, or charged with anything. And the media have also tried to conflate the Coots guys with a podcaster in Canada named Jeremy McKenzie and his meme country he created in his mind called Diagalon. And there's a social justice activist group in Canada called the Canadian Anti-Hate Network who are also paid by Trudeau. And they claim that Diagalon are like an ethno-nationalist threat and they're gonna, you know, they're armed to the hilt and they're gonna take over the government. And investigations showed that Diagalon doesn't exist. And Jeremy McKenzie is just a guy sitting in his house in Nova Scotia with some fans. And they tried to turn this into a thing. There was documents released showing that what the Canadian Anti-Hate Network had said was totally false, and the media hasn't discussed that at all. So you've got four, at least four, I think many more, but you've got these four political prisoners rotting in prison, no bail, no trial, for two years. Has Correct. the Canadian media said anything about this other than to accuse them of being controlled by So Putin? at the beginning, um, the media repeated um, these allegations from the RCMP and the Crown, the 
defense sought a publication ban because it was apparent immediately that the media was trying to railroad these guys. So the media, what they've done now is they're hiding behind that publication ban, but the publication ban is very specific on information to obtain and these unproven allegations by the RCMP and the Crown. You can still ask questions about the case, right? Like, why have these guys been denied bail? Um, what are the connections, the political connections to the invocation of the Emergency Act and the resulting Public Order Emergency Commission ruling? There's all kinds of questions you can still ask about this case that are not subject to the bans, and there's been nothing. So, um, it, uh, do Canadians understand what's happening? Do they care, do you think? A, a small number of us do. Um, but we are not the people represented in the media. How do Canadians get, I mean, your media blockade is North Korean. I mean, it's like, it's hard to get information in Canada. How do people get news about what's actually happening? Well, they have to read, you know, I've written on this case in Newsweek. They have to go to American media or other parts of the world because, you know, there are some people in Canada trying, like, you know, I'm Canadian. I write on Substack. There's a couple of other, you know, people who've been podcasting about. I should say you're living in exile. Yeah, I'm, I, I live in upstate New York now. That's correct. Yep. Yeah, I escaped the gulag. Yep. Um, but yeah, so if, if, if people back home want to find out about this, there's only a small number of people discussing it, and most of them aren't in the country. I assume that Trudeau, like all authoritarians, like Joe Biden, is making an example of the Coots 4 to discourage future protests. That's what Biden did with January 6th. Arrest right. all these people. People are afraid. We haven't had mass protests about anything since January 6th because people know that the FBI will put them in prison. Is, do you think that's why he did that? I think that's why he did that. And then over and above the Coots 4 guys, there's a number of other people who are continuing to be punished. Um, Chris Barber and Tamara Leach, who are the sort of the faces of the Ottawa convoy, they were charged with like mischief and intimidation and counseling mischief and all these like silly, ridiculous charges. And their court cases are still ongoing. Um, a, a number of people who were involved in Ottawa, like just showing up and protesting and taking part in it, making their voices heard, as you said, were also charged with mischief and various other uh, offenses. Some of those people, the, they had their cases dropped or they were acquitted because there was nothing to it. And now the Crown is appealing those acquittals and they're trying to drag regular people who've already been through their court case and had it acquitted and they're bringing them back and charging them again. He's, a, he's vindictive, man. Like he, he can't not be wrong. He can't not admit that the largest peaceful protest in Canadian history was just that. It has to be something else to like satisfy his like sort of a, a proclivities towards totalitarianism. Yeah, well not even proclivities, just the totalitarianism he's imposing on the country. Have there been mass protests since the trucker convoy? Not that I'm aware of. See? Yeah. So it works. It does, unfortunately. And um, the media, as you say, have a role to play in this because they are basically not discussing the fact that we have a, a, a situation almost akin to Guantanamo Bay with four of our own citizens, um, something many Americans might not know about. Um, there was a young kid named Omar Cotter who was born in Canada, but his you know, I think his father was from Egypt or somewhere else. And um, Cotter Sr. was a supporter of the Taliban. And after September 11th, um, Cotter Sr. and his boy went to Afghanistan. Um, Omar Cotter was involved in a 
firefight with American troops. Um, a medic was killed. Cotter was picked up, taken to, uh, I can't remember if it was Kabul or Kandahar, and then sent to Guantanamo Bay, but the only person at Guantanamo with a Canadian passport. Regardless of that case, or what anybody thinks about Omar Cotter, the Canadian media did not shut up about that guy for the entire time. It was front page news, front and center. Omar Cotter's being done dirty by being in Guantanamo Bay. We have to get him out. Prime Minister at the time, Stephen Harper, was heavily criticized for not doing enough to have Omar Cotter extracted from Guantanamo Bay. Eventually he was, came back to Canada, and then Omar Cotter and his lawyers sued the government and under the Trudeau administration was cut a check for $10.5 million. As I'm, payment for shooting an American medic or? I, I, for being allowed to be in Guantanamo Bay for as long as he was. But the point is, is that the media did everything in their power to make sure that Omar Cotter was a household name and they haven't lifted a finger for the Coots 4. So Canada from afar, I haven't been there in a while, but it does seem like it's collapsing. I mean, it's, it's, not, it's not a good time. Um, most expensive real estate prices in the world, inflation out of control. Um, people are finding it really difficult to afford to live. Um, it's almost impossible to get a, buy a home in many of the major cities. Um, my sister went to go and see um, Pierre Poilievre, who's now the leader of the Conservative Party, and he was doing, before he was elected to be leader of the Conservative Party, he was doing like, um, you know, the meet and greets and talking with people all across the country. And my sister told me when she went to go meet him that the number one issue on everybody's lips past COVID, past anything else, was real estate prices and the housing shortage. Like, where are our children going to live? How are they going to afford it? What are you going to do about this? Well, one of the reasons your housing prices are so high is because there's massive foreign investment from China into your real estate markets. That's and, one of them, yep. Yep, it is, uh, especially in Western Canada and Vancouver. So the prime minister could end that tomorrow. The government of Canada could end that tomorrow. Just only Canadian citizens can buy residential real estate in Canada. Why, why not do that? Well, you know, um, it's been recently revealed that the Chinese Communist Party has been involved in federal politics in Canada since at least Brian Mulroney. And in the last two elections, like CSIS has produced evidence that the Chinese Communist Party directly assisted the election of 19 or 20 different members of parliament. So, you know, I don't foresee Mr. Trudeau doing too much to upset his masters. Okay, well, maybe the other thing that the Canadian government could do, if, if you don't want to reign in China because they're really in control, um, you could at least maybe slow down immigration a little bit. I think Canada mm -hmm. has the highest immigration rate per capita of any country in the world. You're basically it's, importing... It's, it's very high. ...entire and, subcontinent. You know, I want to, like... There's no material way to support these people, right? Like, the our healthcare, our nationally funded healthcare system has got major problems. When you say uh, major problems, what do you mean? Like, unable to deliver care to the people who already live here, right? Yeah. Um, we don't have the housing. We don't have the economy. Can't support it. There's not enough jobs for everybody, and we we're just being told that you know a million immigrants a year is just fine even though there is no material way to support or integrate 
any of these extra people, and it's just making all of these problems worse. Has there been a national referendum on this? Do most Canadians support this? Hey, let's move Bangladesh to Canada. Is it I, people I, for I, that? I, I would submit to you most people would not support that, but again, no one's doing the polling and um, the government doesn't care. So if the government doesn't care and if it's literally changing the nature of the country forever right in front of your eyes and your opinion is irrelevant how is it a democracy i would submit to you that it's not much of a democracy and um trudeau rules because he's got a deal with the leader of the new democratic party jagmeet singh and you know obviously he's doing very poorly um Polling indicates that in the next election, it's quite likely that the Conservative Party is going to win. But I don't know if that's going to change anything, right? Right. The Conservatives in Canada seem very feminized to me and kind of self-hating and sad uh, and afraid. You know who Michael Malice is? Yes. He has a great saying, um, "Conservative conservatism is progressivism driving the speed limit. And yeah. that applies with the Conservative Party of Canada. But what is I mean, that that is one thing about Canada that's remained consistent. And I think Canada will be a completely different country in 10 years because of immigration. So we'll reassess then. But you know, people who are born in Canada have a reputation of being apologetic, not wanting to rock the boat, a little bit self-hating, meek. Uh, I don't know about self-hating, but they're definitely navel gazers. What is that? That that's that's a long running psyop. Um, you know, if you grow up in Canada, you have um, Canadian content rules on the CBC and in the rest of the media. And we, we're always taught to, like, think of ourselves as not being Americans. And it's always Canada, Canada, Canada all the time, rather than, like, looking outwards and being adult about things. There's there, there's something in the zeitgeist there that, like, you know, makes us extremely self-referential and almost insular in a way while pretending to not be. Yes, and it it strips Canadians of their ability, with the exception of these truckers, I guess, their ability to say, wait a second, you can't do this to my country. Like, there's not a lot of that in Canada. They seem passive. Unfortunately, some people in Canada are passive, and then when you get people who do rise up and say, hey, enough's enough, well, this is what you get now. The media smears you, lies about you. The government crushes your protest. And there you have it. Like there's, But if you have a cross-dressing fascist like Justin Trudeau take over, and one of his first orders of business is to take your guns away, I don't think you need to be a genius to ask, like, why would he want to do that? Canada doesn't, I mean, there's no evidence that farmers in Saskatchewan are going on murder sprees, okay? Why would he be so intent on taking their guns away, their means of self-defense? Did that raise any alarms for anyone in Canada that maybe this guy doesn't have the best intentions? It's raised a number of alarms with people who are not represented in the media and not represented in the government. Like people do know about this and people are concerned. But again, you have to go outside the country to hear about it or you have to go into, you know, alternative media. I, I should say, just to be totally clear and sincere, I, I'm one of the few Americans who actually loves Canada because I think it's so beautiful. I love my country, too. It is very beautiful. Yeah, it's the most beautiful, it's I think. It's full of really good people who are not being served by their government. But the government killing thousands of Canadians a year through assisted suicide, assisted suicide, which they encourage, not for immigrants, only for native-born, 
like that's that seems a pretty ominous sign. Like if the government is killing its own citizens, maybe they don't mean you well. I'm just trying to connect dots here. Yeah, well, given the sort of collapsing healthcare system, this uh, medical assistance in dying program, and their seeming their seeming lack of concern about making any of these material conditions better by just throwing more people at the problem would belie that. No, in fact, they do not care about us. At but all. does anybody, I mean, in other words, if I say I love you and then I say, what I really think you should do is kill yourself and I'll help you. Maybe I'm lying. Maybe I don't love you. I mean, I'm just, again, just throwing that out there. Course, yeah. Has anyone in Canada said that? Are you allowed to say that out loud? I'm not 100% sure on that one, but it seems like there's less and less things we are allowed to say, if not in the letter of the law, but in what the media will allow, allow in the discourse. Yes. Um, wow, that's pretty distressing. Um, do you think you'll be able to return to Canada, and do you want to? I mean, you know, I've got lots of family there. Um, I have two daughters who had you know, maybe one day when they grow up, they'd like to move back to Canada and, you know, check the place out, maybe settle there. I, I've, you know, I don't know, but, um, it's, it, it doesn't look really good. And I, you know, when the, um, when the emergencies act was declared, I was thinking about going back to Ottawa a second time. And I, I actually sought like, legal counsel about whether or not I would get picked up at the border because of what I was saying in Newsweek, like under the emergency. What were you saying? Were you calling for insurrection against Justin Trudeau? No, I was just simply telling the truth about what the protesters wanted and what was actually going on in the streets in Ottawa. Do you think it's weird that we have this State Department that's totally, obviously doesn't like America, but is focused supposedly on freedoms in other countries, and we're sending half a trillion to Ukraine to liberate Ukraine, but we have these grotesque human rights violations right across our border and no one says anything about it in the from the state department does that seem weird it does and you know something that was revealed in these documents uh, related to this jeremy mckenzie fellow is that um, members of the five eyes security uh, arrangement were basically brought into this sort of wild goose chase after this guy and so like your own security services resources were wasted chasing a Canadian podcaster. And the other English speaking, the five eyes refers to the English speaking intelligence services. Right. They Canada, New Zealand, Australia, United States. Um, they were assisting with this. They were, they were involved with it. Yeah. It was revealed in those documents that at least New Zealand and the United States were both um, involved in this investigation. Have you, I'm not surprised at all. I mean, it's not, these are not separate governments. This is one government. Um, have you ever met anyone personally who likes Justin Trudeau? No. <laughs> you've never met, like even just, just say hi. Like you've never met anyone who likes him. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm sure there are people I know and in my life who, you know, think he's all right or maybe even voted for him. But like most of my really good friends and associates dislike the man and i mean dislike is the diplomatic term i will use on tv um would they feel comfortable announcing that in canada the ones who still live there i mean you know th there are people who will say things about mr trudeau i mean it it's 
you, you are taking a risk, you know, like I, um, I had the RCMP call me once for sending mean tweets at prime minister Trudeau. What'd so, they say? The Royal Canadian Mounted Police. Yes. There's a, there's an organization, a sub organization within the RCMP called the protective investigations unit. Ooh, they are, sound like fun. Yeah. They're sort of akin to the secret service. Yeah. And there's like a, another group within them who monitor online hate of hate. Yeah. Hate Gord. Yeah. I guess, I guess they, they, they did. They didn't like me making fun of the prime minister. What were you saying? Nothing. I was just posting memes at him. Oh, but the memes were dangerous. So the I guess the like feds called you as uh, as um who is this fellow in Florida that was uh, arrested uh, and charged and went to court for making memes? By oh, we Hillary we interviewed Clinton. him. Yes, he's facing prison time for that. Yeah, making fun of Hillary Clinton not allowed. But what I mean, I, I do think it's fair to say America's obviously becoming a police state. Pretty clear, but Canada's farther along down that path. It's smaller, there's less resistance, there's no media at all, independent. So it's a captive nation. What can Americans do to help our cousins north of the border? I'm um, just understand that most of the Canadian media are corporate welfare cases and that you're never going to get the truth out of them, um, much like a lot of the media here. And, you know, stay awake to that. Um, if they wanted to, they could help the Coots Four guys. We have a we have a new give send go set up for them, simply called Trudeau's political prisoners, because they have the full weight of the state against them, and they've had trouble getting decent and competent legal representation. Because you know, being a lawyer or a judge in Canada means in some way you're connected to the Liberal Party, right? Like, seventy six percent of judges in Canada are donors to and members of the Liberal Party, so it's very difficult to like fight this in court. And so if Americans want to help, like we could really use some money to get these guys half decent lawyers. It's a, I mean, it's a one party state at this point, posing as a parliamentary democracy. Uh, correct. Yeah. We have a similar uniparty problem where the NDP and the liberals work together and help each other out in order to stay in power. And the conservatives lie down and take it. Does that sound familiar? <laughs> so I guess what you're saying, everything in Canada is a pale imitation of the United States. Yeah, it's, it's a much more fake and pale. Yes. Is there hope? Oh, man, that's a good question. Um, I, I, I don't know if there's like any political hope to this. Um, obviously, um, Western civilization is kind of in some very rough times at the moment and, you know, going through something of a crisis of meaning. And I don't, I don't know if there's any political solutions to this. Like, people need to start looking into themselves. Well, I agree with that. And speaking of that, and I'm not saying that the Canadian government's under demonic control, but hundreds of churches were burned, have been burned. Hundreds. Right. Churches. Right. Yes. Under Justin Trudeau, he's done nothing. He approves of it. So Not very much was done about it. And, well, you know what his associates in the NDP are doing? They have proposed legislation— to make the discussion of those church burnings and the residential school program illegal. You either accept the government's narrative about the residential schools program, which led to all these church burnings, or you're going to go to jail. They're going to make it akin to Holocaust denial to actually question the residential schools. Narrative. First of all, any historical event can be questioned legitimately, any event, and reassessed in light of new evidence— existing evidence reinterpreted. I mean, that is history. Correct. 
So anybody who criminalizes or uses force to discourage an assessment of any historical event is acting on behalf of evil and deception, of course, by definition. So, like, we know that. Right. Yeah, the NDP are evil. I, I have no time for those guys. They used to be a, a pro-worker party, but now they're mostly sort of woke and they represent government employees. And that's about it. Um, last question. We're going to Canada, trying to li- we're, make some attempt to liberate it. Um, Good luck. And non- non-violently. Yes. Uh, but it, you know, I think there are a lot of decent Canadians. And again, it's one of the most beautiful places in the world. It deserves to live in freedom and peace and not in rapid, di- disgusting decline. Um, what kind of reception do you think we'll get in Canada? I think when you go to these events in Calgary and Edmonton, um, you're going to have uh, very large crowds because you do have fans in Canada. There are people who really do desire the truth and understand what's at stake. So I think you're going to have some pretty big crowds. But if we show up and announce we're here to liberate Canada, what do you think will happen? Well, given that it's Alberta... You'll you'll get a good reception from the locals. The rest of the country, uh, of course, you know their hair is going to start on fire and they're going to freak out. Good, mission accomplished. No, the the real mission is liberating uh, the the great nation of Canada from itself. Right, and you know, um, I think like a joint operation between the South Dakota National Guard and the New Hampshire and Maine National Guards maybe could probably do it, given like Canada's military is also in a shambles. So yeah, bring it on. I don't think there's any quite. I don't think it would require three state national guards to liberate Canada by force. <laughs> uh, but who knows? You know, it's going to be a dynamic year. Corby, go. Thank you so much for spending this time with us. Thank you for having me. Great Nelson. to meet you. Appreciate it. Thank you. Free speech is bigger than any one person or any one organization. Societies are defined by what they will not permit. What we're watching is the total inversion of virtue. 